Welcome to the Helium Podcast. We believe researchers should only struggle to solve the problems of scientific inquiry, and the rest should be a bunch simpler. I'm Matt Hotze. And I'm Christine Ogilvie-Hendren. And we're your hosts for Helium Podcast. Thousands of new professors are starting their jobs this summer. We were lucky to track one down for the podcast today. She shares some key pieces of her thinking as she leaps into the somewhat unknown of a professorship. Dr. Courtney Gardner is a newly minted assistant professor at Washington State University. We get into the details of her position in the interview, but this conversation was a fun one. Um, I've had a number of opportunities to work with her over the past few years as a student and then as a postdoc in the Center for the Environmental Implications of Nanotechnology at Duke, where I work. And she is just so highly competent and funny and real as a person that I knew it would be fantastic to hear her perspective. Um, You'll hear in the conversation that Courtney shared her excitement and her expectations and really just modeled the type of authenticity and confidence and intellectual generosity that we're really hoping to support with this podcast as a community. Yeah, Christine, she was just so honest about the hurdles she will face in recruiting students to her group. And at the same time, it was great to hear her confidence in her systematic approach to to that and all the other puzzle pieces that she needs to put together. And the exciting thing about this one for me is that we plan to circle back to Courtney next summer. So it should be cool to go back to her and see, okay, you had all these things on your mind last summer in 2018. What is your current uh, status in 2019? Yeah, Matt, I'm really excited for that one. It's a cool idea, and I just can't wait to see what she will have done with her year. I'm sure it will have felt like more than a year and and less at the same time. (laughs) Well, today's episode is brought to you by MyProfessorWebsite.com. You need a good web presence, obviously, but who has the time? Outsource that business. Go to MyProfessorWebsite.com for help. This sounded (laughs) advertising-y, right? Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's a perfect. You nailed that one, Christine. Let's roll the interview with Courtney Gardner. Today, we are welcoming Dr. Courtney Gardner, who is joining us today after having just come off the road from literally driving across the country on her way to day one as an assistant professor in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you, Christine and Matt, for, for having me. I'm very excited. Thank you for being here, Courtney. And so usually with our guests, the first thing that we kind of ask them is to give us a little bit of background on how they came to be where they are. So we can just start with the most recent story you have from your road trip and back up from there and how you became to be, came to be a faculty member here or, or there at Washington State. Absolutely. Uh, so I was, I guess, um, my most recent experience was driving across the country, um, from Duke University at, where I got my PhD in civil and environmental engineering with Claudia Gunch, who is the best mentor and absolutely is one of the biggest reasons why I'm here. I was in the environmental process track, I guess. Um, I'm not sure. If that needs to be said, but my, my niche is environmental engineering and microbial processes. And so I was very driven to understand how, um, environmental systems and, and civil engineering and human systems kind of interact and how we can, um, 
make the interaction and, and space in between them a little bit better, a little bit more sustainable and more efficient. Um, and so I graduated in uh, 2017 um, with my PhD and then spent a year as a postdoc, um, also at Duke University, but with um, Heather Stapleton in the Nicholas School looking at the impact of, of different environmental stressors on the human microbiome, um, which is less, I guess, engineering work, but still definitely at the intersection of how the environment impacts humans and, and vice versa. Um, and so then that's how, uh, that was the bridge experience that got me to Washington State. That's really exciting. So now that you're there, I have a, a straight up simple question that sounds facetious, but is actually an honest question. No. <laughs> Do you know what your job is exactly? That's an excellent question. I certainly hope that I do, um, because my start date is only four days before I start teaching classes. And so that's a very short <laughs> time to reevaluate my strategy going into it. I think, well, Washington State is an R1 and it is a land grant university. And so that's exactly where I want it to be. So I think going into it that my job is mostly to conduct, um, or establish a very competitive research program that is mostly mentoring students and mentoring research projects with um, teaching on the side. And so I, the, yeah, the various parts that go into that, I think are still research focused. Um, and so that at least I am technically more comfortable with the long-term teaching, uh, like most postdocs, I have very limited experience in. And so that will be, I think, the biggest or top five learning curves, I think, going into to this new position. Yeah. I'm sure there's no shortage of learning curves in any of us taking a new job. Right. <laughs> I think that's a sign that you've taken the right job, right? Is that there is something to grow into and it, it mm -hmm. gives you, it gives you something to shoot for. And so, so one of the things actually we wanted to ask you about is that we last, last summer, actually, we did a round of interviews with people that are in your position or maybe a few years advanced from where you are. And what we did was, we tried to get an, get an idea of what the biggest things that they were struggling with were. And we, we came up with several different topic areas based on the aggregated. It's a small sample size, admittedly, because they're one on one interviews, but we came up with an idea of what people were struggling with in their jobs, what, what they perceived as the biggest problems either that they had or they were currently dealing with. So the first thing in terms of that list, and, and we've talked about this in prior episodes, but the first thing that in terms of that list is the idea of mentoring and hiring graduate students. And so we wanted to get your take on the things that you know, the things that you want to educate yourself on, the things that you might be uncertain about in terms of the graduate student process, because that was one of the number one things that came out of these interviews of people just saying, this is still something I struggle with. Yeah, that, that is um, definitely one of the things that I have been thinking about going into this job. And I think before I accepted the position, it was one of the things that I was maybe the most concerned with because location, uh, I guess for a graduate program or for any job isn't 
maybe the most important consideration, but Pullman is a, is a small town. And so it could be difficult to recruit really top-notch competitive students to a more remote location that isn't maybe as attractive as, as Seattle is on the surface or um, University of Washington or, or some of the other big programs in civil and environmental engineering. And so that was definitely a concern. Going into that, when I try to recruit students, um, I will be able to recognize that struggle within um, prospective students because I also went through that struggle and still decided to come here. As somebody who can, I guess, intimately relate to, to that particular perspective, I think it's easier to to convince somebody who is open to the idea of, of all the things that actually make going to a graduate program in a smaller town um, or a smaller community actually maybe a better experience because your stipend is pretty much the same across the board for, for graduate students and cost of living here is significantly less, um, which I think students maybe don't necessarily consider right off the bat. Um, and we are actually a very, very strong water group in the department. And so I think we do have a, a really great balance of, of a great location, but also a really strong department that will challenge students. And so my particular, I guess, strategy for, for getting students right off the bat is to maybe pick a, a master's student who on paper at least looks similar to a pedigree that I had coming out of an undergraduate institution so that I know um, kind of where they're coming from, um, especially for microbial processes. I feel that um, having somebody with a microbial background or a, a stronger microbial background than an engineering background is actually an asset um, because I feel that learning all of the minutia of cell biology and microbiology is a little bit more overwhelming than picking up the engineering part of it. Um, or at least that was, that was my personal experience because I had a, a biology background and not an engineering background. Um, and so right off the bat, I'll just look for, for somebody maybe like myself so that my energy for mentoring them is not, I guess, dragged down by mentoring them with very technical lab techniques or very advanced lab techniques. Yeah. So does like in terms of the, you mentioned the mentoring and you, you kind of focus on the hiring part of it. And I can see that that would might be a struggle in terms of attracting people, especially if they're, you know, in bigger cities or larger places and they're coming to your program. But in terms of the mentoring, you, you mentioned that uh, thinking about, how you would approach that. Are there any other questions or things that you think about in terms of mentoring is, except for the pure, I mean, you've mentioned the pure science aspect of it, but there's also other aspects potentially. That is a, a difficult one for me. As a postdoc, you get to mentor the people in your group, but you don't, you, you mentor them mostly in a technical um, capacity. And so you really don't get a lot of, experience mentoring them as somebody's primary advisor. So at the ins and outs of that, I, I am going to have to navigate, um, as is, and as a, an introverted and shy person by, by nature, I think that part is maybe aside from finding funding, what is the most intimidating to me going into an assistant professor position. And so that, 
professional mentoring and personal mentoring is one of the thing, or I guess one, two of the reasons why, or those aren't <laughs> reasons. Those aren't reasons at all. Those are just things, um, struggling, <laughs> struggling with, um, with mentoring somebody in, in those particular capacities is maybe why I, I am also going to be a little bit cautious going into my first graduate student or two looking and look for somebody who is more similar, who has similar strengths and similar weaknesses to me because I know how to make those strengths better. And I also can identify, um, how students can make my particular weaknesses, um, better. That's such a good kind of proactive approach to realize that some of this is going to be learned on the job. And how do you kind of make sure that what you're working on with somebody is not the stuff that you're going to have to build up capacity to learn together, but is really the stuff that you feel kind of already out of the gate equipped to help. And I think that that speaks to you kind of understanding really how important those first. So I guess that is a decent lead in to the Mm -hmm. second kind of grouping of things that rose to the top of those interviews that Matt mentioned that we did, which is just more generally how, um, you know, do you have thoughts, concerns, strategies, things that you're thinking right now about your approach to building the research program in terms of, you know, both finding funding, strategizing about collaborators? Are there particular things about that that give you either hesitation or that you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to have to learn this? Um, or do you have an approach in mind that you'd want to share? I... I, yeah, those are, those are a bunch of really good questions. Um, I guess the first part of it that I'll answer is, um, the collaboration part. That is the part about finding funding that I am the most intimidated by because I am not <laughs> extroverted. Um, I have fits of extrovertedness, extroversion, but that is definitely not how I am. Um, and as a graduate student, and even in undergrad, I, I really avoided um, networking because it is an unpleasant social experience for me. And I think those days are behind me now. Uh, welcome or not, I think I, I just can't do that anymore. And so another thing that I am going to just have to learn on the job is finding people to collaborate with in my department, outside of my department at other institutions. Um, and so the network that I already have from Duke and from my undergraduate experience will help and I'll meet people through them. But I think becoming maybe a little bit more professionally extroverted is going to be what I work on the most. And then in terms of, of who to target, I think I was able to, to learn a lot from my previous mentors at, at Duke, Heather Stapleton and Claudia Gunch. And I saw them as I was a student there and a postdoc there um, start to look towards other sources for funding and not just the typical NIH, NSF, EPA, although EPA is less of an option now than it was was before. Um, and so looking at individual foundations um, like Keck and Alfred, uh, Alfred P. Sloan and, and private foundations that really prioritize science and engineering and um, innovation, I think I am also going to look towards in addition to more traditional things like uh, NSF. 
the department that I am going into seems to be very supportive um, and not conservative in the types of funding that they try to get. So I think that will be helpful just to go into that environment where people are creative and very open to new ideas and new funding sources. I think one of the the new assistant professors, um, Mandy Honer, is about to submit a grant proposal to NASA for some of the water work that she does. And so that had never occurred to me before to, to look at NASA for water funding. But being in that program, I think, will be as helpful as anything else because of the people that are already there and how they are being creative with the funding sources that they look towards. That's such a good way to approach it is just kind of thinking creatively about your diversified field of where you can possibly get funding. The other thing that I couldn't help but think about while you were talking, Courtney, was just that possibly accidentally, uh, since our podcast has just started airing, but you touched on things that were kind of key takeaways from several of other folks who we have spoken to who are professors saying, you know, you, you already kind of know your niche, your specific area and your vision for where you fit in. That's unique. Um, and that was something that Jose Serrato said, something else that he said that is really resonating to me right now is just to, the need to just be authentic to your personality and how you're leading your group and going about collaboration. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear how you feel, a, you know, a year or two years out from now about feeling, I mean, first from somebody who's collaborated with you, I don't experience interacting with you as if you're not extroverted. Um, but like, no. <laughs> because that's you're, okay. you're so funny and astute and everything, but I think it's, it, it comes down to this point that Jose made, which is just being authentic to what feels right to you, lets people interact with you and collaborate and build whatever it is that you're going to build ideal wise together. Mm -hmm. And then David Jasby also had touched on this diversified idea of where you look, like not just going to the tried and true, you know, up till now, well-established agency funding pathways. But uh, it's really cool to hear that you're, you have already thought so much about your approach to all these things and that you're kind of ready to tackle it. Oh, well, on paper, we'll see a year from now if any of these ideas actually pan out. But I hopefully, hopefully... But I had some really great mentors at, at Duke and at Stetson, my undergrad um, institution, for some of this stuff. So I'm definitely going to be keeping in touch with all of those people as I move forward. And, and for those listening along, wondering what episodes we're referring to, that's Dr. Jose Serrato in episode two and Dr. David Jasby in episode four. So if you want to look those up, that that's that'd be great. Um, so the third area, let's go back to that. Basically, the third area we identified is that you're all of a sudden responsible for a lot more things than you were before, right? You're worrying about funding, you're worrying about all this paperwork, and just as Christine put it, administrivia that goes along with being a professor. In some ways, we all end up at a desk one mm -hmm. way or the other, no matter who we are. And so do you have any thoughts or 
what uncertainties about the idea of, okay, what, how are you going to systematize or prioritize the things that you're doing to set up your group? So the last question was more a little bit, a little bit about group culture, and this is more about systems and efficiency. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had a really good answer to that question. I do not be, I think just because of, of the limited nature of, of being a postdoc, it's, it's kind of, uh, at least in most places, I won't say in all, uh, it's like being a graduate student with a slightly more money income wise, but the responsibilities are largely the same. And so the actual administrative work, I am the most naive on, um, Claudia, Claudia Gunch did a, a really great job of, um, delegating some of the administrative tasks to her graduate students, especially when it came to um, things like annual reports for grants and the actual writing of grants. But it is mostly the the grant stuff um, that I'm the most familiar with. And so the rest of the administrative tasks that I'll be responsible for, I think I'm, I'm pretty ignorant of. And that I, I think I just have to recognize that I don't know what I'm doing. And I will learn a lot of it on the job. And everybody in the department has at some point been a first year faculty member. And so they have all been there at some point or another. Hopefully they will remember they also had no idea what they were doing. And so I will um, just pray for, for patience and quick learning on my part. So in terms of this one, I was thinking... I guess you've already kind of said that you you don't you're just going to go in and and jump and then hope that the net appears kind of. <laughs> yes. But but are there any any kind of systems that you set up as a postdoc that you thought were kind of helpful and then maybe you'd be able to transfer over to your job as a professor now? Mhm. Um, I did keep a pretty strict schedule when I was a postdoc. I didn't, I wasn't always on, on campus working, but I had hour blocks scheduled so that I felt like I had a full day, even if I had an unstructured day. And so instituting structure for me, for myself is the easiest way for me to ensure my own productivity. Cause if I feel like I just have a day where I don't have any meetings or, or I don't necessarily have a grant that's due for submission, I probably won't get anything done if I look at it like I have a, a free day. And so structuring my time from day to day is going to be what I hope keeps my productivity and efficiency going. And then I am starting to call around to um, big lab suppliers to see about like instrumentation packages so that when I do get my first graduate student, probably in the spring or the fall of next year, most of the all of the major equipment and most of the secondary equipment will already be in place because I do not want to start a lab culture where um, I have a student and they don't have any work to do because they don't have any instruments. And so I don't want to start a culture of, I want to do this, but I can't because we need to order it. And so that becomes the way that the lab runs. I don't, I don't want that at all. I came into a graduate lab that was very functional. When things break, we ordered it and when the, I guess the tides of biotechnology turned a certain way and we really needed a new instrument, we would order it, but pretty much everything was in place. And so we were all able to hit the ground running as we came in. And that more than anything as a graduate student really worked in my favor. And so as a mentor, I want to do that for my students. Um, and honestly, for myself also to, to keep 
productivity at that level also um, turning, if that makes sense. It it does. It does. I like I like what you said about the time blocking because when I was at I was at the American Chemical Society, I was an editor there, and we had a person come in to talk about time management, and it it was one of the most valuable things that I learned in nearly three years there was this idea that you block out time for yourself on your calendar. I mean, it seems so simple. Mm -hmm. It it does. It seems simple. And yeah, so absolutely. I I heard it in college and I didn't really listen my first two years. Um, uh, But I did my second two years because it was do or die at that point. And so I just learned by not doing it that I absolutely can't not do it. And Dan Ariely, uh, is a, I think, uh, he calls himself a behavioral economist. He's, he's written some really great books about, um, how people behave and, and the, I guess the currency behind behavior and why people do what they do. And so, um, I also block time according to when I'm most productive. So for me, I am most productive for writing in the morning. Before lunch, I can write really well. Um, I can stay focused. And so I do not, or I at least try not to check my email then um, because that is a really good way for me to waste really valuable time, productivity time. And so I'll save that for after lunch unless there's there's something pressing that I, that I really need to check my email. And so I'll try to structure my day my whole day similarly. So my day is kind of top weighted at the beginning of the day for meteor um, tasks that really require me to be kind of on my game. I think that's such a smart approach. I've heard before that your email inbox is just a to-do list that other people write for you. Oh, it's such a time sink. Yeah. Why am I doing a to-do list that other people are are telling me what that is? So I think it's so smart to do exactly what you're saying. You're just going to knock it out of the park. So w- one thing we thought at this point is uh, it can be fun to just throw a few questions at you and just get your very first impression answer. So um, are you up for that? Yes. Okay. What is one mistake that you have made that you have learned from? professionally. You can say anything, but, um, professionally, uh, not talking to people. So I mentioned, uh, earlier that I am, am shy and introverted, which it can be fine, but also I have gone to conferences and not talked to anybody before. And, and my husband's in the hotel bathroom listening and he yelled through the door, you can't do that. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think, Certainly, like I just need to recognize that I need time to be alone to kind of re-energize my mind, but also that time probably shouldn't be in the middle of um, of AEESP, for example. Like I, there are times when I just absolutely need to be on my game and, and kind of suck it up and just do things that I don't want to do. Okay, next question. What is your biggest win so far? Ooh, biggest win. Um, I, I am... Just going to say getting a PhD. I am the first person in my family to go to college. Um, awesome. So I so just cool. being able to, yeah, graduate college and then um, keep going to college and take it all the way. Um, and my mom was able to come to see me graduate. And, and that was really wonderful. So I think just just finishing the rat race of a doctoral degree is my, my number one. That is a great one. Okay. Um 
What is your biggest fear going into this? Mm, failure. I don't want to, uh, and, and not like I don't want to not get tenure, um, but like I don't want to end up being a bad fit for this university. Like I, I, I think I am a good fit for the department. I really enjoy working with the people, but I don't want to, um, I guess, be mistaken about that or, or to not do the best I, I possibly can with the resources that I have there. All right. Last one. What are you most excited about? Um, no humidity. <laughs> I love that one in particular because I'm in Houston. It's humid inside of my house. So. Oh, it's so awful. It is. Um, so I grew up in Florida. I grew up on the coast of Florida in a suburb of Tampa. And so there's a bunch of humidity there. Um, I moved slightly further north to uh, Durham, North Carolina, but there's a bunch of humidity there. And that's where I spent my entire life. And so I'm very excited to be outside and um, actually enjoy it and not, not sweat all the time. And, uh, yeah, I, I, in terms of day to day enjoyment, I'm going to say no humidity. <laughs> so speaking of day to day enjoyment, this is not a rapid fire question. So you can take a little time for it, but we realized that some of our other guests, especially from academia have without us asking this question, have revealed how they escape from the daily grind and what, what they do for their mental health. So we thought we would ask you about that too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, just reading, um, like reading for fun, like not reading papers uh, in grad school, like reading for fun was, was reading like tangential papers for my research to get new ideas. And so I just want to go back to, to reading books that I think is the thing that I, that I really enjoy the most. And I have always been a very good reader. Um, not to brag, but in seventh grade, I read the most books in my entire school. I want to high five seventh grade you. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, I, there was a competition and I won, um, for my efforts, some Tampa Bay Lightning tickets. And I went with my family and got my family really addicted to, to hockey down there. So it's, it's not just for me, it's for other people, I guess, also. Oh, yeah. Non-selfish. <laughs> um, well, you know, I really don't think that you can go wrong. I, I think you're going to be fantastic. Obviously, I'm in your fan club. Would you mind if we check back with you this time next year once you've inevitably... I was going to say hit the ball out of the park, but probably I should say something about like a hat trick. Oh. I, but I don't know any <laughs> hockey things. Um, would you Would you mind if we check back? Oh, no, no, that's perfectly appropriate. Absolutely not. No, no, that would be that would be great. That would be a good um, uh, mile marker for me as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this is awesome. Oh, thank you. Great. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I could. Um, these were really great questions. So it also made me think about everything, um, maybe more than I had before. So thank you. That's wonderful. Well, we really appreciate you being very authentic and willing to share exactly how you're feeling and thinking going into this. And it is really great of you to do that. We we are hoping to make a community where people listen in and then feel free to also share the things that they don't feel ready for or do have approaches for and just kind of open it up so that we can all help each other. So thank you so much for kicking that off and uh, being the one to really lay it out there. Absolutely. Thank you guys again. 
Thanks for listening to Episode 6 of Helium Podcast. You can find the show notes at www.teamhelium.co slash episode 6. Helium Podcast is brought to you by myprofessorwebsite.com. If you're any professor that we know, you're probably not super proud of your website, and you never have the time to deal with it. So we've created a free guide at myprofessorwebsite.com to learn a little bit more about the key pieces that you need on your website. Go to myprofessorwebsite.com to download the guide and learn about the key things that you should have on your website and those things that you shouldn't have on your website. If you want to help get the word out about our podcast, please go to www.teamhelium.co slash review it, all one word. There you will find instructions on how to review our podcast, which is the best way for others to find us, except, of course, for a personal referral. Our music is written by Michael Blake of Portland, Oregon. You can find him on SoundCloud or at www.mblakemusic.com. Healing Podcast is produced and edited by us, Matt Hotze and Christine Ogilvie-Hendren.